much more intimate. We like intimacy. Uh, five and a half years ago when we planted the church, there were several, several of us in a room. And I remember uh, saying to one another, if one day we can get down to Main Street, we have a huge heart for the city. If one day we can get down to Main Street, that would be like a lot of this vision coming to fruition. And uh, all of you are here on the day that God provided that, that to fruition. So can we just give thanks to God because it's pretty awesome that he's brought us here. All right, we have a lot of work to do tonight, so I hope you're ready to go. Um, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we teach the scripture uh, word for word straight from the Bible. We believe the Bible is uh, not just a good book of, of fables and fairy tales. We believe that it's truth, that it's inerrant, that it's a breathed uh, through God, a writing through men and for us uh, inspired. And so we uh, teach it like that. We study it like that. And it's amazing to have you here. I don't know if you're like me, but I remember the first day of seventh grade P.E. like it was yesterday. Um, uh, the town that I grew up in, the mascot was uh, was very creatively uh, called the Vandal. Uh, really birthed a lot of city, you know, love when your mascot's the Vandals. It was more like a Viking character, but um, the junior high thought they would get creative, and the junior high called their mas- mascot the Junior Vandals. Um, so they stepped up their game a little bit. And the uh, the high school's colors were like red, black, gray, and white. So pretty cool. Uh, the, the middle school's colors were a double dare green. Um, a shout out to Double Dare. You guys remember the show, right? Yeah. Remember the slime green? Like that was the color of my middle school. Now, now I remember, yeah, that's right, Mark Summers. I, I remember, um, I remember the day mostly because, uh, this was before like good shorts came out. To say that my PE shorts uh, made it to mid thigh would be generous, okay? Do you guys remember these days? Like when we used to wear underwear for shorts? Do you remember that? What were they thinking back then? Like, how did that get passed through the school board? But it did. And uh, the first day of seventh grade PE, though, many of you guys remember it. It's the day of testing, right? Pull-ups, you guys remember, right? Push-ups, sit-ups. I know many of you girls, maybe this didn't apply to you, like you were over knitting or something in the corner. I'm not sure, but, but, for, the, but for, the boys, for the boys in middle school, it was really intense. Those three things, and then the Ever Classic, what was last, you remember? Climbing the rope, remember that? Oh, yeah, the old classic. Now... For me, in this day, I remember like it was yesterday, because the PE teacher brings out this, uh, this map of national averages with all of these things. Like, all right, so here's the, for a 12 or 13-year-old boy, here's how many pull-ups they should be doing, and here's how many sit-ups and push-ups, like all of these things. And, and so the teacher comes out and sets the ex- expectations. And you know as well as I do, like, and I'm not saying that I'm, I hit every one, uh, three out of four, not bad, but, uh, but, but most... But a lot of these, a lot of these boys, especially, like, just not even close. Like this big expectation was placed, and they they didn't even come close. And so, like, I remember watching, and then that just began. Like, then the, the running the mile came up, and so same kind of thing. But you see these these young boys who aren't meeting these expectations, and they literally just it, it like takes their manhood away. Like even there in seventh grade, I've learned a lot about expectations as the years have gone on. Uh, first of all, I know that like for each of us, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of expectations have been placed on each of us throughout the years. And for me, there, there's like one of two options in response to expectations. And I think you would affirm this. Expectations either drive you in a healthy way. They push you, your teacher, your parents, whoever sets expectations. And it's so it kind of thrusts you forward like I want to get there one day. So there's that option. But the other option is that like it creates in you this 
inadequacy. Because you see the expectation, and whether or not it's true, you believe that you'll never get there. You want to get there, but you don't think you can. And so what it creates in you, out of this desire to get there, is you just act like you are. So that's why you pulled the old old classic when you were uh, in school, and your parents said, hey, where's your report card today? And and you remember this, you pulled the, oh, well, uh, the teacher's printer wasn't working, um, but I got straight A's. They're really excited about my progress. So tomorrow, the teacher said she's going to send home some handwritten report cards, right? And it like comes back in crayon, like as you wrote it out, right? Like you, you send up lying. These expectations that are set, and then you, you want to meet them, but you can't. And so you just fudge the truth. That's why many of you as employee, employees, the expectations that your employers have set, because you don't want to disappoint, you just end up wearing a mask. Of course, I'm accomplishing that when full well you know in your heart you're not even close. Expectations tonight I want to wrestle with big time, not from the context of cultural understanding, but rather from the Scripture. Now, listen. Paul, one of the greatest church planners of all time, maybe the greatest, began a huge movement of gospel push and exploration as he would come into these distant lands... And in these distant lands, he would begin preaching, speaking specifically against the idolatry of the land. And as the the idols were lessened and people heard the message of the gospel, Christ crucified, Christ dead, and Christ rose again, pretty soon people began to respond to the Lord Jesus. And so as this movement of people responding to Christ began to happen, church planting began. He would begin to gather these folks and plant churches all throughout the land as far east and west out of Jerusalem as the gospel could move. And church planting then was the big birth of the, of the expansion of the gospel. So what would happen is Paul would plant churches and then he would take the scripture and he would begin to put on them expectations. What eldership and pastoral uh, leadership should look like. How we should follow the person of Christ and nothing else. He would leave in their hands the truth of the scripture so that they understood what the biblical expectations of their life were. And what would happen is in these cities, there were one of two options. Either those expectations drove their desire to become like Christ. Or it created just this shameful, regretting community that felt like they could never get there. And so here's what they did. They just acted like they were there. The absolute worst thing that any of us can do in moving here to this amazing city is begin to think for a second that we should just begin to act like we're the church that has arrived. That that we're the church that understands, that we're the church that's doing city initiative, that we're the church that gets it. No, no, no. Tonight I want to wrestle with you through the text of what it means to see expectations in a healthy scriptural vantage point, not hunker down in shame, but rather claim victory. Are you with me, church? So open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, all right? 1 Thessalonians. Now, one of the churches that Paul planted was in this area of the world called Thessalonica. Could you throw this map up here for me? Now, Thessalonica is a, is a very interesting city, especially for our context. It had rich history. Thessalonica was conquered by Rome in 186 BC. And in that same time, it was made the capital city of the Roman province Macedonia. 
Now, much like St. Charles, which has a rich city, Thessalonica was a massive thoroughfare. In other words, the sea to one side and a river and passageway to the other. It was literally a melting pot for so many different cultures, kinds of people. It had tremendous diversity, rich history, a stirring in the present, Because Paul shows up and Thessalonica begins to preach the gospel, dig deep roots in the gospel. People are responding. There's a massive movement happening in Thessalonica. But what happens is, is Paul eventually leaves as he does. Raises up leaders, plants a church, and then he moves on. Well, one of the people that stays behind is his disciple, Timothy. And what Timothy does is somehow he gets word to Paul that this rich history area... This presently stirred area is struggling with the future. Now the reason they're struggling with the future is because the church is facing tremendous persecution. People are coming to Christ and because this area is controlled by Rome, there is many people beginning to die. And listen, they're fearful that those that had died in Thessalonica because the rapture hadn't happened, because the Son of Man hadn't returned, because Jesus hadn't come back, They were afraid that they missed out on the second coming, on the return of Jesus. And they didn't know where these people who had died were. So somehow word gets to Paul. And they're like, please help us. Like, we're not sure what's going on, but so many have died in our community because of persecution. And we're not sure where they are. Like, are they in some, you know, third heaven? Are they like, they were just confused. And so Paul writes two letters to the church in Thessalonica. And most of the theme is the second coming of the Lord and what the rapture and the Son of Man returning looks like. But, in his opening, listen, in his opening, he takes this church and he breathes some encouragement in them because he sees 11 very specific things in this church in Thessalonica that should not just be modeled or sought after, but the ways that the Thessalonican church has heard the expectations of the Scripture, and they've owned them. And so tonight, in this first chapter, we're going to look at these 11 things that the Thessalonican church reached out, grabbed a hold of, and lived. So you guys ready to go? You guys all there? Here we go. First Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 says this. We give thanks to God always for all of you, Paul writing, constantly... um, um, uh, Constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Verse 3. Remembering before our God and Father. Look at this. Your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first three of the eleven. The characteristics of the church in Thessalonica. Go ahead and put that up there, Andrew. The first three characteristics are this. They're working in faith. Trusting in the Lord. They're laboring in love. And they have this steadfastness of hope. But, but how does the verse end there? How does the verse end? In what? Verse 3. In our what? Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the greatest characteristic of this church was that it had gospel Jesus centrality. All these things birthed out of Christ sitting at the helm. You see? Now, it's easy for us to take a big whiteboard. Many of you know how... How much I love whiteboards. I'm obsessed with them. I love them. I want to just, you know, anyone else is here who's like, yes, I'm sinfully obsessed with the whiteboard. I need counseling. Just me. Okay, well, I know. Well, it's easy to draw a cross and circle it and like write the name of your church outside of it 
and cast that vision. We're a gospel Christ-centered church. It's easy to do that, right? Like, it's easy to cast vision. It's easy to say, this is what we are, but it doesn't make you that. This church in Thessalonica is so Christ-centered, so gospel-focused, that what Paul says is you're trusting in faith in who the person of Christ is. You're laboring in love, gripping this commandment that Jesus said, love God and love people, and you're hoping in the Lord Jesus. Listen, we're here in now a very public place, right? Like you got you all parked and you had to walk. It, like it's no longer Cole's parking lot, right? How'd you do with that? Isn't it beautiful to have to park and walk a little bit? I know in American culture, like we've gotten used to like parking and then having some, you know, valet take a, just so we are completely non, you know, exercisable. Wrong word, but you're, you're with me, right? But if we're trying to get a heart for this city, then isn't it amazing to have to park a little bit away and just enjoy the beauty? Because I don't know about you, but this city is beautiful. Of all the things that could be said of this church, Matthias's lot, I pray that there's one. Look, I, I don't necessarily believe what they believe, or I don't agree with all their doctrines, but those people, they make much of Jesus. They make much of Jesus. Like, they talk about the Lord Jesus all the time. Their hope is in Him. Apparently, they trust Him. He's what they're, like what's on their lips. They hope in this. They, when they labor in love, it's not just because of social justice. It's because of the person of Christ. As we hunker our roots here in this beautiful community, right in the heart of it, may it be said of this church that they make much of Jesus. And what you're going to see here is this church in Thessalonica didn't just draw it on a whiteboard and preach it and say, yeah, oh, that's what we are. No, no. They owned it. They lived it. They're experiencing it. Look at how he goes on here in verse 4. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. The next two things. He says that this church is loved by God. We've been studying in Hebrews that God is mindful of us and that God has chosen them. No, no, no. Um, How many of you guys like war movies? War movies? Anyone? War movies, okay. Several of you, I even saw some nods, no, okay? You're pretty confident about that. Um, the, war movie, the war movies that I love, that I long for, uh, we were soldiers, one of them Braveheart, another. Listen, it's when the people, when the soldiers know the leader well. It's, it's in that moment where there's this connection between the leader and the people that like all of a sudden for the people, the mission becomes very clear. Are, are you with me? Like if you've seen any of these war movies where the, where the, where the leader is like down in the, in the depths with the soldiers, they get the mission. Like they understand the strategy. They're connecting with the heart of the leader. Isn't this awesome that Paul says of the church, you are loved by God and you are chosen by God. It makes the gospel and Father God so personal. That's why for us to ever get the mission of loving the people in this community and living out gospel centrality, it must be birthed. It must be birthed out of your personal time with your leader, your maker, God, through His Son Jesus, by the empowerment of the Spirit. Are you with me? It's through that that you stay passionate about His mission. We're not here to accomplish our mission and goals. We're here here to fulfill His. He's chosen us, He loved us, and our response to that is following what he, what, what he would have of us. And so I want each of you to know here, like, especially if you continue to journey with us, 
We don't, we haven't listed out these lists of expectations that we're trying to fulfill for us. We believe God has called us to specific things. And if for one moment we distance ourselves from him, then we will lose track of what his vision and mission is for the city. And his vision and mission will be accomplished. Amen. With us, listen, with us or without us. God doesn't need this church on Main Street to change St. Charles. God can do it all by himself. But he has graced us enough with this opportunity to be able to park on these streets and walk by people and not just our church people. That's the, that's the difference between where we're at and here. There, you walked by all the people that were coming here. Now, you walk by real people with real beating hearts that aren't coming here. And I've told my, uh, the covenant members, I believe that God has put us here and he's, and he's saying this to us. You, you love St. Charles? We'll see. We'll see if you do. It's easy to say that you do, but we'll see if you really embrace that as gospel mission. Stay connected to Father God. Look what he says here in verse 5. Because our gospel came to you, this is more about Paul here, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This is why we teach the Bible and not self-help. It'd be great to just, you know, put something up from the OWN network. Like I know many of you are TiVoing, Oprah's new stuff, you know, all the OWN stuff, OWN network everywhere, right? It'd be easy just to give each other like some good anecdotes from life, from all these self. We teach the Bible here because the Bible brings through the Holy Spirit full conviction. Isn't that amazing? The difference between culture and the scripture is culture can convict in pieces, but the Bible convicts fully. Because it shows us instantaneously where we stand and match up against Father God. And that place is humbling. With full conviction, we preach this word. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. In verse 6, the, the next two things. And look at this. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The next two characteristics of this church. They imitated the Lord. They had gotten so close to their master, so close to the mission, understood the strategy so well that literally when people saw them, they saw the Lord Jesus. They were imitating the Lord. That's what their heart was. Whatever he did, I want to do because he did it right. He did it well and he was obedient. So I must do the same. And obedience causes suffering. Listen, many people in Thessalonica were dying because of the gospel because they were imitating the Lord. You want to imitate the Lord? Then Jesus said, they hated me, they'll hate you. And I'm not saying that we're going to move down here and instantly the city is going to hate us because we're making much of Jesus. But what I am saying is we better be ready. But we won't be ready. We won't own it. We won't accept it if we're not imitating the Lord. Imitation to the Lord is always a precursor to true gospel suffering. Unbelievable things that this church has embraced. Verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The next two things, or the next thing rather, they literally became an example to all the believers. This church, Paul plants the church, preaches the expectations of the biblical standard, and these people have owned it so much that they become an example to all the believers of which Paul now can write. Verse 8, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. 
the next two things. This is what they were embracing. One of the biggest attributes of the church in Thessalonica was they were considered massive evangelists. They were concerned with what, what people thought or what culture would think of them. They desired more than anything just to tell people of the hope they had, they had in Christ. They shared the word of God. They didn't hold it in their heart. It was like kept up in their bones like a fire. It just had to come out. And this church didn't just hear it, but they began to spread it. And they didn't just spread it, but they lived it. So much so, what does the end here of verse, of verse 8 say? That we need not say anything. Many churches in our culture have a lot of agendas. And they say a lot of things. And instantly, because we're Christians, we get put in that same category with some of these religious, at times, out there folks. But what if you live it so much, embrace the gospel so much, stay so connected with your master that it's an imitation of him, that words aren't even needed for the, listen, for the people to say they make much of Jesus. What if the, the evangelistic message never had to come out of our mouth for this community in this city to say, those people, like, they, they don't have any agenda outside of love. There's no timeshare cell. They're not putting maps of Florida up trying to give us something. When these people come around, they love, they share joy. And when they suffer, they suffer well. No words needed in the church of Thessalonica. Verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you look at this. Turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. This is unbelievable. The last thing, the 11th thing. This church turned from their idolatry and served God. Listen, when we begin this whole thing down here, I want to bring out one idol. One. There's many. And I know you're struggling with so many. I want to bring out one idol. You. You. The idolatry of yourself. And I'm not just talking about all of your gifts and talents and thinking that you're so amazing because often depression is just as idolatry toward yourself as joy. This church, Matthias's lot, just like the church in Thessalonica, must embrace running from idolatry by killing the things that we consider to drive ourselves in the flesh. And the biggest thing is you. You consumed with you, your blessings, your joys, your struggles, your gifts, your depression, all of these things. We want to make much of Jesus. We don't want to make much of you. We don't even want to make much of a church or an idea or a concept. And so each of you, listen, each of you, I know. So many things going on in your mind, so many aspects of your life being stirred, so many struggles and joys. We have to begin in this city. Saying, no, 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 God, please cut us at our knees, kill our motives, and help us run from idolatry. There have been many times in my life where uh, ministry has become an idol for me. The work of my hands. I've forgotten that it was a, about the person of Jesus and it became about getting ready for a service and putting it on well. God forbid that ever happened to us. That we become so programmatic and so rhythmic in our church experience that we ever escalate what we have to offer 
versus what the gospel is. We have nothing to give. We literally have nothing to give this city. Do you believe that? We have nothing. Any love we show is because of Him. Any grace we show is only because of Him. Any mercy, all of those things. All are birthed out of gospel centrality. We, in and of ourselves, have nothing to give St. Charles. And whatever context you're coming from and whatever city you're living in, if you can begin as a church community to run from your idolatry and to serve the true living God, that's when the culture will say those people make much, not of themselves, but of something else, and hopefully having the opportunity to breathe Jesus Beautiful passage. Look at how this ends here. Verse 10. And to wait. And here's how he begins the rest of his letter. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. He makes a promise and spends the rest of the letter fleshing it out. It's Jesus who saves you from wrath. Trust in the Lord. He will come again. And those who have died in persecution did not die in vain. So, Let's step back for a moment, shall we? Just look at this, our new nice widescreens. Work of faith. No, 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 no. Back, 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 bro. Work of faith, labor of love, hope, love by God. Looking at this list, isn't this an unbelievable list for a church? Now, what I've learned in expectations is that churches especially either embrace expectation live the gospel standard because of the person of Christ, or they read that list of 11 and they just act like it. They really haven't been transformed. They've learned how to create an accountability system among themselves where everyone in their closet can do whatever they want, but when the church is together, or even when the church is serving All of these things start to come out, you see? The danger for us is to somehow see the expectation of being the church on Main Street and to act like we have something to give this city. And so then we just start acting. Oh, we trust in God when in our heart we haven't been transformed. Oh, trust us. Like we're completely hopeful in the Lord, but in our in our closet when we're on our knees praying, like there's no hope, there's no belief. The labor of love has become a labor of programs. We're not living the word. We're reading the word and sharing it with people uh, hypocritically. We're not imitating Christ. We've learned how to imitate each other. Let's just build each other up and then we'll make each other the standard. We're not the standard. The pastors, the leaders of this church aren't the standard. Christ is the standard for us. That's where we're looking. That's why we're preaching the scripture. I hope that not one second this church feels like we ever have to act like something we're not. Thessalonica is encouraged by Paul because they were real. He didn't have to make this up. This was the authentic church. Embracing the gospel, Christ centrality, living the word. They weren't faking it. Sure, they were struggling. And when they struggled, they sought the mercy and grace of God. Are you with me? Now, I sit back from this, and again, like the seventh grade boy, it's either it drives you, or you run in shame because you say there's no way. I believe there is a way. And here's the way. Next slide. This church, three things cause it to live out this authenticity. The first thing, 
The church knows full well its need. They're not confused about its need. It's very, very clear over and over how Paul has encouraged Thessalonica that this church is very, very clear that it needs Jesus. We don't need ourselves. We don't need a building. We don't need cool whatever. We need Christ. Have you come to that place? Have we collectively come to that place? Are we coming together worshiping like we've come to that place? We have nothing to give. We have no other hope. We don't need anything else besides Jesus. And that leads us to the second thing. They know it's need because they know they're sinners and the church is experiencing joy in their answer. So when they come together, they understand that they're sinners in desperate need of God's grace. And so then there's joy when they get together because the church just becomes this picture of celebrating their answer in Christ. You see? That's real. That's authentic. Let's not strum a guitar and preach a message to make us feel better about ourselves. Let's give thanks to God. He's our hope. He's our answer. He's where we should be leaning on. You see? There's a huge difference. But often, in expectation and our inability to meet it, we just come together and we celebrate each other. Isn't our band ridiculous? Isn't all these people who are out here unbelievable folks and we just pat each other on the back and we just create coddling communities that enjoy fellowship but not Jesus? That's our danger. We create a culture where we become so relationally gifted that we just enjoy fellowship and forget Jesus. This church in Thessalonica is real and authentic because they have not just heard the gospel and celebrated it, but my friends, they know their answer and they're experiencing joy. And lastly, next slide, please. The church is living by faith on mission. This church in Thessalonica, as I've just had my face in this word, it causes me to sit back and say, in the face of expectation in the face of a culture that's looking at us and saying, all right, so what's this Main Street Chapel thing all about? Uh, have you had any of those conversations yet? I've had many. I was getting my hair cut uh, down, down the way earlier, and we were talking about how people in this street are talking like, so there's a church next to some bars. That'll be interesting. They're looking at us. And what will they see? Will they see a church that's coming to a culture, and all of a sudden we've got to act like hipsters or something? Like now all of a sudden we have to figure out what it looks like to walk on brick nicely or well or what a culture can look like now going to two services or will you first as an individual and then us together as a church say we know our need. We know our need. Desperate, lost, have nowhere to go, no hope outside of Christ. We know our need. And so when we gather, what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate our answer in Jesus. Like, I have, I have nothing to give. I have nothing to offer. So when we come together, and listen, that's the amazing thing about what God's doing here in this particular church, is I feel like people can come wherever their journey, whether they struggle with God or don't even know God or are living for Him fully, they can just come. Because we're not making much of people, they don't feel shameful because we're making much of Jesus. Do you see? There's no condemnation in Christ. And so when you're making much of Christ as a community... Even those who are far from Him hear a message, not of condemnation, but of hope. And so then the church comes together, celebrates their answer, and they leave. And the moment out these doors, already on mission. But so many of you hustle, bustle, we've got to walk home now. No, no, no. There's people like right here, real people with real beating hearts, longing for the answer that you have. 
I don't ever want to fake it. I don't want to cower in shame and us as a church act like we're really living on mission. This church in Thessalonica was living an authentic, true expression of the gospel. And Paul said, because of that, you're not just living it or sharing it. It's literally the cry of your heart so much so that you don't even need to say anything. So though this has been a church time, a communal time for us, this is a time for you as an individual to reflect on what Christ has done for you. The body of Christ was literally broken as a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice so that your sins could be completely forgiven, completely washed clean. And on a night when he was with his disciples, he broke the bread and he said, this represents my body, which is getting ready to be completely broken so that you can have forgiveness. So he said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. Remember me. Listen, remember me. Do you notice he said, don't remember your sin. Remember your need of me. Remember me. The sin is forgotten. It's gone. It's redeemed. Then he held up the cup. And he said, this cup represents the blood of the new covenant, which these disciples who were Jews would have heard covenant and just instantly been drawn in. And it's because of this blood dripped down from a cross that each of us as individuals and tonight as a church, listen, can be the church. It's because of this that we can call ourselves a church. Listen, a sign doesn't do it. Isn't that awesome? A sign doesn't do it. A website will never do it. Our ideals can't. But because of Christ, we can come together and instead of saying that flippant word which we've taken so lightly in a culture, we can say, no, 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 we are a church. And that's what Thessalonica was saying. We're a church. Struggles, wrestles, but a deep belief that Christ is central. And so I ask of you now to sit there in your seat and to reflect on your need on the answer for that need in Christ and how He's called us as individuals and collectively to be on mission. Listen, let's pray right now for true repentance. And so we take communion here by intention. It's pulling off a piece of the bread and dipping it in the cup. This is a meal for believers. I'm going to pray for us and I would ask that you would repent whenever you're ready to receive the elements in worship tonight. Stand and respond. Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for this picture in Thessalonians of true, authentic church. I pray, God, that you will do a work in us that we will never feel like we have to meet some expectation and therefore act like something has really transformed us. God, just transform us. Change us by the gospel. Continue, God, just to mold our heart to reflect who you are, to imitate you as God. I pray, Father, for a heart of repentance in this room. I pray that my brothers and sisters, God, never feel like they're condemned any longer under the gospel, but they have a hope in the answer of who you are. So, God, do a work. Change their hearts. And in this moment, God, 
Come and make yourself known.